Hey, welcome to Socialism for All. This file is being recorded for the January 2024 edition of Socialism for All, and it's an audiobook of Armed Insurrection and Our Tactics by Stalin from 1905. If you like this video, please click like and subscribe, and consider supporting on Patreon or buy me a coffee at patreon.com slash socialismforall or buymeacoffee.com slash socialismforall. There are links to Patreon and buy me a coffee in the video description. So right now on the channel, we're still working through a list of short catch-up readings that were mentioned in footnotes and things like that in the November and December readings, as well as some other miscellaneous odds and ends that I've had lying around. This particular piece and the next one that we're going to do, The Class Struggle by Stalin from 1906, are not on that list, but they were suggested by a viewer. I checked them out, and I thought they would be good, short, early Stalin works to throw into the pile. So the source on this one is Stalin Works, Volume 1, November 1901 to April 1907. The publisher is Foreign Languages Publishing House, Moscow, 1954. HTML transcription and markup by Salil Sen for the Marxists Internet Archive. Marxists.org, thanks as usual to Marxists Internet Archive for hosting this and thousands of other free Marxist texts. Let's begin. The revolutionary movement, quote, has already brought about the necessity for an armed uprising, unquote. This idea, expressed by the Third Congress of our party, finds increasing confirmation day after day. The flames of revolution are flaring up with ever-increasing intensity, now here and now there, calling forth local uprisings. The three days barricade and street fighting in Lodz, the strike of many tens of thousands of workers in ivanovo Voznesensk, with the inevitable bloody collisions with the troops, the uprising in Odessa, the mutiny in the Black Sea Fleet, and in the Lubau Naval Depot, and the weak in Tiflis, all are harbingers of the approaching storm. It is approaching, approaching irresistibly. It will break over Russia any day, and, in a mighty, cleansing flood, sweep away all that is antiquated and rotten. It will wipe out the disgrace called the autocracy, under which the Russian people have suffered for ages. The last convulsive efforts of czarism, the intensification of repression of every kind, the proclamation of martial law over half the country, and the multiplication of gallows, all accompanied by alluring speeches addressed to the liberals and by false promises of reform. These things will not save it from the fate that history has in store for it. The days of the autocracy are numbered. The storm is inevitable. A new social order is already being born, welcomed by the entire people, who are expecting renovation and regeneration from it. What new questions is this approaching storm raising before our party? How must we adjust our organization and tactics to the new requirements of life so that we may take a more active and organized part in the uprising, which is the only necessary beginning of the revolution? To guide the uprising, should we, the advanced detachment of the class, which is not only the vanguard, but also the main driving force of the revolution, set up special bodies, or is the existing party machinery enough? These questions have been confronting the party and demanding immediate solution for several months already. For those who worship spontaneity, who degrade the party's objects to the level of simply following in the wake of life, who drag at the tail and do not march at the head as the advanced class-conscious detachment should do, such questions do not exist. Comment. So Stalin is referring here to the economists, a revisionist trend which Lenin also fought. They were all about spontaneity and just sort of documenting what the masses are doing and tailing behind them rather than leading them and convincing them of the need for political organizing, rather than just leaving that to the liberal intelligentsia. Continuing, Insurrection is spontaneous, they say. It is impossible to organize and prepare it. 
Every prearranged plan of action is a utopia, a waste of effort. They are opposed to any sort of plan. Why, that is consciousness and not a spontaneous phenomenon. Social life follows its own unknown paths and will shatter all our projects. Hence, they say, we must confine ourselves to conducting propaganda and agitation in favor of the idea of insurrection, the idea of the self-arming of the masses. We must only exercise political guidance as regards technical guidance of the insurgent people. Let anybody who likes undertake that. But we have always exercised such guidance up to now, the opponents of the Kvostist policy reply. Wide agitation and propaganda, political guidance of the proletariat, are absolutely essential, that goes without saying. But to confine ourselves to such general tasks means either evading an answer to the question which life bluntly puts to us, or revealing utter inability to adjust our tactics to the requirements of the rapidly growing revolutionary struggle. We must, of course, now intensify political agitation tenfold. We must try to establish our influence not only over the proletariat, but also over those numerous strata of the people who are gradually joining the revolution. We must try to popularize among all classes of the population the idea that an uprising is necessary. But we cannot confine ourselves solely to this. To enable the proletariat to utilize the impending revolution for the purposes of its own class struggle, to enable it to establish a democratic system that will provide the greatest guarantees for the subsequent struggle for socialism, it, the proletariat, around which the opposition is rallying, must not only be in the center of the struggle, but become the leader and guide of the uprising. It is the technical guidance and organizational preparation of the all-Russian uprising that constitute the new tasks with which life has confronted the proletariat. And if our party wishes to be the real political leader of the working class, it cannot and must not repudiate these new tasks. And so, what must we do to achieve this object? What must our first steps be? Many of our organizations have already answered this question in a practical way, by directing part of their forces and resources to the purpose of arming the proletariat. Our struggle against the autocracy has entered the stage when the necessity of arming is universally admitted. But mere realization of the necessity of arming is not enough. The practical task must be bluntly and clearly put before the party. Hence, our committees must at once, forthwith, proceed to arm the people locally, to set up special groups to arrange this matter, to organize district groups for the purpose of procuring arms, to organize workshops for the manufacture of different kinds of explosives, to draw up plans for seizing state and private stores of arms and arsenals. We must not only arm the people, quote, with a burning desire to arm themselves, as the new Iskra advises us, but also, quote, take the most energetic measures to arm the proletariat in actual fact, as the third-party Congress made it incumbent upon us to do. It is easier on this issue than on any other to reach agreement with the section that is split off from the party, if it is really in earnest about arming and is not merely talking about a burning desire to arm themselves as well as with the national social democratic organizations, such as, for example, the Armenian Federalists, and others who have set themselves the same object. Such an attempt has already been made in Baku, where, after the February massacre, our committee, the Balakani Bibi Aibat Group, and the Gunchak Committee, set up among themselves an organizing committee for procuring arms. It is absolutely essential that this difficult and responsible undertaking be organized by joint efforts, and we believe that factional interests should least of all hinder the amalgamation of all the social democratic forces on this ground. In addition to increasing stocks of arms, 
and organizing their procurement and manufacture, it is necessary to devote most serious attention to the task of organizing fighting squads of every kind for the purpose of utilizing the arms that are being procured. Under no circumstances should actions such as distributing arms directly to the masses be resorted to, in view of the fact that our resources are limited and that it is extremely difficult to conceal weapons from the vigilant eyes of the police, we shall be unable to arm any considerable section of the population, and all our efforts will be wasted. It will be quite different when we set up a special fighting organization. Our fighting squads will learn to handle their weapons, and during the uprising, irrespective of whether it breaks out spontaneously or is prepared beforehand, they will come out as the chief and leading units around which the insurgent people will rally, and under whose leadership they will march into battle. Thanks to their experience and organization, and also to the fact that they will be well armed, it will be possible to utilize all the forces of the insurgent people and thereby achieve the immediate object, the arming of the entire people and the execution of the prearranged plan of action. They will quickly capture various stores of arms, government and public offices, the post office, the telephone exchange, and so forth, which will be necessary for the further development of the revolution. But these fighting squads will be needed not only when the revolutionary uprising has already spread over the whole town, their role will be no less important on the eve of the uprising. During the past six months, it has become convincingly clear to us that the autocracy, which has discredited itself in the eyes of all classes of the population, has concentrated all its energy on mobilizing the dark forces of the country, professional hooligans, or the ignorant and fanatical elements among the totters, for the purpose of fighting the revolutionaries. Armed and protected by the police, they are terrorizing the population and creating a tense atmosphere for the liberation movement. Our fighting organizations must always be ready to offer due resistance to all the attempts made by these dark forces, and must try to convert the anger and the resistance called forth by their actions into an anti-government movement. The armed fighting squads, ready to go out into the streets and take their place at the head of the masses of the people at any moment, can easily achieve the object set by the Third Congress, quote, to organize armed resistance to the actions of the Black Hundreds, and generally of all reactionary elements led by the government, unquote, that's from the resolution on the attitude toward the government's tactics on the eve of the revolution. And commenting, the Black Hundreds were what we would consider today basically like a fascist militia, extreme reactionaries, monarchists, racists, and so on. Continuing, one of the main tasks of our fighting squads, and of military technical organization in general, should be to draw up the plan of the uprising for their particular districts and coordinate it with the plan drawn up by the party center for the whole of Russia. Ascertain the enemy's weakest spots. Choose the points from which the attack against them is to be launched. Distribute all the forces over the district and thoroughly study the topography of the town. All this must be done beforehand, so that we shall not be taken by surprise under any circumstances. It is totally inappropriate here to go into a detailed analysis of this aspect of our organization's activity. Strict secrecy in drawing up the plan of action must be accompanied by the widest possible dissemination among the proletariat of military technical knowledge, which is absolutely necessary for conducting street fighting. For this purpose, we must utilize the services of the military men in the organization. For this purpose also, we must utilize the services of a number of other comrades who will be extremely useful in this matter because of their natural talent and inclinations. Only such thorough preparation for insurrection can ensure for social democracy the leading role in the forthcoming battles between the people and the autocracy. 
only complete fighting preparedness will enable the proletariat to transform the isolated clashes with the police and the troops into a nationwide uprising with the object of setting up a provisional revolutionary government in place of the czarist government. The supporters of the Kvostist policy notwithstanding, the organized proletariat will exert all its efforts to concentrate both the technical and political leadership of the uprising in its own hands. This leadership is the essential condition which will enable us to utilize the impending revolution in the interests of our class struggle. And that's the end of the audiobook. So there you go, an early Stalin piece from the first Russian Revolution, from 1905 to 1907, a period of struggle against the Tsarist autocracy, which resulted in the setting up of a parliament and other reforms, which continued the process already started in the 1860s of clearing away the last remnants of feudalism in Russia. This then cleared the way for the upcoming capitalist class, who were already developing capitalism in Russia, to continue with their goals of reshaping society in order to support capitalist development. However, Marxists participating in these political struggles, representing the interests not of the bourgeoisie, but of the proletariat, and of the long-term future of the human race in general, jockeyed for position against the bourgeoisie to try to assume that leading role, to take the struggle all the way through to socialism. And in 1917, with the backdrop of the chaos of World War I, that's exactly what they were able to do. I like to make the point here about the Russian Revolution and this entire, you know, two-decade period or so, that it closely matches the recommendations made by Marx and Engels in the 1850 Address to the Communist League, which we have here on the channel if you search for Marx on Guns or Under No Pretext. Basically, that 1850 address was given in the context of the bourgeois or capitalist revolutions in Germany at that time. And the Marxist perspective that what the proletariat should do, just as the capitalists are setting up their bourgeois government to replace the old, outgoing, overthrown feudal government, is to set up a parallel proletarian government, workers' councils, things like that, try to sabotage, disrupt, and disobey that fledgling bourgeois government as much as possible. And then as soon as you can, preferably while it's in this weak, embryonic stage, hit it with everything you have. And the timing worked out really well for the Russian Marxist movement as capitalism in Russia was lagging behind Western and even Central and Eastern Europe in its development, emerging much later, like early 20th century. So that Marxism as an ideology and as a study of the emerging class struggle at that time, as well as the history of class struggle in the past, had had decades to be circulated and studied, debated and discussed, other historical examples to be learned from, and to put it into practice, so that basically that fledgling capitalist provisional government, which was established in the spring and summer of 1917, after the Tsar was deposed in February 1917, couldn't hold its ground against the well-established and militant Workers' and Peasants' Revolutionary Alliance headed by the Bolsheviks. In short, a lot of different factors lined up, and it worked. Anyway, there are various other lessons to be learned from this piece, but I'll leave that up to you for now. What do you think? Leave a question or comment in the comment section below, and we will continue the discussion there as always. Otherwise, thanks for listening. Thanks to the current patrons whose names are on the screen. This channel is ad-free and viewer-supported, so if you'd like to get your name on the screen, head to patreon.com slash socialismforall or buymeacoffee.com slash socialismforall. These contributions allow me to spend more time on the channel than I'd be able to do otherwise. I would make some kind of content, even if nobody supported. But that support 
is both encouraging and tells me that people are definitely listening and want to see more of this. And it also materially allows me to spend more time on this rather than pursuing wage work. So if you like this channel, thank me, but also thank a patron or buy me a coffee supporter because they are a crucial part of what this channel has become and is still becoming. Beyond that, engagement counts, so like, share, subscribe, and leave a comment, even if it's just thanks or good video. All of that engagement helps to boost this channel and this video in the algorithm so that more people can stumble across it more easily. And finally, don't forget to put this into practice in real life. Connect with your local left in your city, or if you're in a more rural area, maybe more of a statewide organization or regional or national organization. Bring what you've learned on this channel. We have hundreds of audiobooks from the classics of Marxism-Leninism. Bring that knowledge, bring that perspective into real-life work. There is class struggle going on all around us. It needs to be amplified, intensified, and ultimately victorious in bringing down capitalism, which is not going to happen on its own. All right, thanks again, and we will see you in the next video.